0: how do you deal with rejection? How do you deal with having all of your ideas shot down? How do you convince people that social media matters? How do you cope when they've said no to your project? And then are you okay with never writing again? And I was like, oh, bye.
1: (laughs) Welcome to the Thought Theater Podcast. I'm John Stephen Stancil, and with me as always is Joel Goodman. And today we're going to be talking to Ella Dawson. And we're super excited to have Ella here. If you're not aware of Ella's work, you need to be. She runs social for Meet Cute, formerly at TED Talks, and she is an incredible, incredible writer and blogger. And if you haven't read any of her works, uh, get over to her website. We'll we'll put the link in the show notes and and, and check out some of her work. We'll we'll talk a, a little bit about that today. So, first, Welcome Ella. We're so glad to have you here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to talk shop.
1: Excellent. Well, let's jump right into it because I want to talk about a few things and when I first became aware of your work a few years back when I was still at the Texas Department of Transportation and you wrote a post that that really struck with me about I think simultaneously we hit the limit of being called interns and uh and jokes about social media interns and you wrote a really great piece about you know how you were fed up with that and followed it up with a really good piece about you know what management needs to know about social media and your social media managers and one thing that i've noticed is kind of a recurring theme in some of, of your work is you refer to social media managers as digital bodyguards for their brands um can, can you go into a little more detail about this and, and how being a digital bodyguard? can have an impact on the mental health of a social media manager.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, yeah, I've been in social media for six years, seven years. Time has fallen apart for me as a construct in the last few months. Um, but I started working in social media Right after I graduated from college, I had done some marketing internships and publishing before then, before identifying social as a field that I really loved. And in my time doing social media at TED Talks, which is where where I was for the bulk of my career before now, I really saw the various types of expertise that go into social media management, whether that's building a community, whether that's being the primary touchpoint, between your brand and your audience or your customers, whatever relationship you might have with your audience, social media is where they come into contact with you the most and sometimes in daily ways. I saw the way that social media is brand building, it's PR crisis response, it's all of these different fields smushed into one and you have to be a very sharp, critical thinker Writer, you have to have excellent judgment and you have to be very calm. And so for me, social media is one of those fields where the people who do social media well are incredibly talented and it's an expertise. It's a real industry. So I became very frustrated the more time I spent in social media to see the way people joke about how every brand account is run by a social media intern or when somebody makes a mistake or posts something wrong, oh, somebody, an intern's getting fired. Like I felt that it was. It's just a meme and it's just a joke, but it furthers the stereotype that the work that we do in social media is not serious and is not a real trade and shouldn't be treated with the respect that it is. And when you combine that stereotype with the fact that social media managers and social media experts in general at companies usually aren't listened to, usually aren't consulted on major decisions, usually are left out of the conversation that creates a real issue. So that stereotype has consequences on our careers and on our ability to contribute to decisions that are being made that are really important. So I, I have a habit of losing my patience and writing angry screeds online. Um, I'm starting to grow out of it a little bit and put more thought into those angry screeds, but um, it was really nice to see how much that resonated with folks. And I think the piece that is really worth diving into is what you highlighted of the fact that social media managers are often digital bodyguards. We take a beating for the brand when something goes wrong. We are the people who are reading the comments. We're reading the angry tweets. Sometimes we're getting the customer support emails if that's part of our job. We're constantly the weather vane for the company. We're exposed to the elements. And that is, it's exhausting. There isn't really much of a sense of hazard pay in digital media, but the work that we do when something has gone wrong and when the brand or the organization or the university, whatever it might be, whenever it's taking flack, the people who are getting that the most and exposed to that the most are the people who are running those digital channels. So I definitely encountered a lot of that in previous roles of being the person who's like the first to notice when something has happened online and then you're trying to alert the rest of the company to it, you're trying to help respond to it, you're trying to help your audience or your fans feel heard and that their concerns are valid while also not betraying the company like it's it's extremely difficult and it is it is exhausting and often disturbing And in the worst-case scenarios at my time at TED, sometimes it would be a speaker was getting death threats, or there was a bizarre conspiracy theory for a while that TED supported pedophilia, and, like, I was the person reading that all day, every day. I was the person on 4chan trying to track whether the threats to shoot up our office were serious, like... That was me for like six days for 14 hour work days, because I was the only person with the skills to do it. And thankfully my boss was like, you get two free vacation days, get out of here, go to the beach. But yeah, I did wind up leaving that job just from burnout because I was like, this is is a real psychological toll. This has an impact on health, I'm out. And thankfully now I work for like a happy rom-com podcast where knock on wood, like being exposed to the elements is not that bad. But it is even if you're just doing social media strategy completely unrelated to the news, you have to spend a lot of time online. And in moments like this, just being online can be disturbing, particularly if you're a person of color who um, or a black person who is being bombarded with all of these disturbing conversations that are really triggering and personal. Even just trying to to sell peanut butter right now means being on Twitter and that can be hard. So that is my TED talk about that. Um, (laughs) but it's something really near and dear to me because it's a lot of people who work in this field endure a bunch of things that are disturbing and usually we're not very well-paid or well-supported or have access to medical care, especially for mental health.
1: I think it's definitely true. It's something that that I see and I've been dealing with. I, I often say, you know, this job got a lot less fun after 2016. Yes. It just immediately, like the day after it got just incredibly more difficult, especially Sort of being on you know a college campus for me mm-hmm. where we're kind of just this touch point of controversy and, and so sort of the, the the key battleground for for some of these conversations that are happening today so one thing I, I think is is important too and you mentioned that right now and in the past you've had bosses who are very supportive and said hey go take that day off go to the beach i don't think that that's a luxury that everybody has And I think it's really important that we as social media uh, managers advocate for ourselves and our own mental health and our own needs and make some of these things known. So do you have any recommendations of, of, of how people can better do that?
0: Yeah, I think it's difficult, especially when you are an employee whose boss doesn't fully understand social media or has never done the job that you have done. I was lucky in my first few years at TED where the role that I had was the role that my boss had had before she rose through the ranks. So she knew firsthand what it was like to do what I was doing and to um, to have the responsibility that I did. And so she she was very empathetic to that and strove to create a team culture where if you were... Having a hard time, if you needed to share the load with someone else, you should speak up and put yourself first. And there was a real focus on that. But it was an intentional choice she had, she made as a boss to create that culture. I've also had bosses who didn't really understand that. And I've had moments where I had to kind of explain the internet. While I was trying to make a case for myself as an employee and for what was best for me, I think that HR departments are usually horrible at understanding the unique toll of working on social media or just social media as it relates to the company or how seriously should we take this death threat that an employee has received over Twitter. Like I've by and large seen HR as being very out of step with the internet age of work. So it can be really difficult to find allies who actually understand what you're facing in your role. What I used a lot of when I was working with managers and directors who didn't really understand what my experience was, was data. There are thankfully a lot more articles now about burnout, incredible publications that can provide some evidence, like expert evidence of the fact that doing comment moderation or being a frontline customer service person is really taxing. So I definitely passive aggressively emailed a few things to HR about like the mental health toll of xyz so it can be helpful when you're positioning it as this is something that is really standard in the industry and in the field that i work in and it's not just me being a baby or me not having a thick enough skin it's like this is the risk of the role and that's something that i would like to discuss and find a way to work around something that i also thought a lot about was okay so maybe my company can't offer xyz what are things that would make my work experience better? that don't cost the company anything maybe it's arranging okay can i just work remotely one or two days a week so that i have time to unpack my work and focus on things that are difficult to do in an office environment just so that i have a little more recovery time especially if you're an introvert that really helped me when i was going through a lot of burnout was just arranging a schedule with my boss of when i just would work from home in a way that wasn't disruptive to other people's work i also worked out a shift system. So nobody would ever moderate comments for more than three or four hours at a time. And even that is really long. Little things where there's a process that is unemotional, but productive to mitigate some of the higher risk tasks that people have to do. But it is tricky. It's really tricky. It's difficult to get employers and your workplace to think about the mental health of employees. And then when you add that to the fact that people don't necessarily appreciate what we're doing or even fully understand what our job is, it can be really difficult to advocate for yourself. Something that I found really helpful was talking to other people in the field who could say, that is a valid experience. That is a risk of the job. Wow, you're taking on way more responsibility than this role should have. You should be paid about $20,000 more. Like Those conversations can be really useful um, for putting your own experience into context and also sharing tricks of the trade the way that we're doing of, here's how I had this conversation with my boss who doesn't know what Facebook is to help him understand <laughs> what Facebook comments are. But yeah, knowing that we're on the bottom of the wrong in some ways and finding ways to pull each other up is really the basics.
2: I think going off of that on, you know, on the kind of other side of the app, the social media channel, for those of us that see missteps that are taken by social accounts, especially by brand accounts, how can we go about taking the the really much needed role of calling out those missteps mm-hmm. while also trying to care for the person that's actually behind the account? Because we see that all the time, right? I mean, we these conversations before other huge issues dominated the, the public discourse, we had these conversations online a lot. It's like there's someone behind that brand account and they don't deserve all of the hatred. But you know, like uh, are there any are there any things that maybe you kind of came up with that, that you as as you went through these different things that that you wished those of us that interact with brand accounts could keep in mind or should keep it. Like how what's a what's a good way to approach that?
0: This is one of my favorite things to talk about because it is It's an interesting position to find yourself in when you are the social media manager who is being bombarded, whether it's fairly or unfairly, on Twitter, which is usually where it happens. (laughs) Unless it's like an Instagram comment situation, which is a whole other chaos, but we'll just stick to Twitter for now. It's a really unique position. and. I've had that happen in moments where usually it was Ted was being dragged for something fairly or unfairly. And a lot of what I tried to do as a social media manager was take the concerns and the opinions of our audience and the needs of our audience and bring that data, whether it was qualitative or quantitative, to whoever it was that could make that decision. So whether that was the curation team who chose the speakers, whether that was our CEO because it was a brand matter, whether it was PR related, whether it was just somebody hated the headline and I needed to explain why to the editorial director, all of those angry comments or tweets are data and they're incredibly useful. When a brand is being called out for a misstep, all of that backlash is super useful and important. And I think It is important to call out brands when they've made a mistake. That is the role of the public. That is the role of the audience. That is the role of the fan community to hold whoever it is accountable. But there are definitely ways to do it that are productive, that are mindful of the mental health of the person who's reading all of that garbage. When I personally am upset with a brand for whatever it might be, I try to write messages that are very clear and very firm, but are not full of vitriol. So I stay away from violent, hateful language, or profanity, although sometimes a well-placed profane word is useful. But I try to keep it very clear of this is why I'm disappointed. This is what you did wrong. This is how I feel you didn't uphold your values. Um, The best is if they have a value statement that you can look up and screenshot and be like, this is what you're not doing.
1: (laughs) I've gotten a few of those tweets for the past couple weeks.
0: Yeah. They're really effective and really like, oh, like, <laughs> but then that is very clear data that that person, that social media manager can bring to their higher ups so that it's clear that this is not trolling. Yeah. These are people who are interested in us doing better, who we have personally disappointed. These are not just drive by jerks. This is not just call out culture. This is a real backlash that we need to pay attention to. When you do have a lot of like F Wendy's or F Whoever it is, it's very easy for leadership to look at that and say, "Who are these people? They don't care about us. This is just hostile mob culture, whatever."
2: It becomes kind of flippant, right? Like yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to see value when you're in a leadership position Mm -hmm. from something that feels not very well thought out.
0: Yeah, and you're like, why should I care? And then it's very easy to say, you know, who are these people? They don't really matter. This is out of context, etc. But if you have a tweet that's like, hey this is who you say you are, this is how you failed that, this is what I as the consumer or the fan am no longer going to do because you have done X, or this is what I need you to do in order for me to continue supporting you, that's really helpful and convincing. I love it when I see people saying like when they reply to a bad tweet or when they or when they're just calling out a brand and they say like no shade to the social media manager I appreciate the work <laughs> you're doing but you guys really messed up on X Y Z like that makes my life because I'm like that is a person who is being conscientious and clearly has a friend who works in social if they don't do it themselves <laughs> um, but yeah I'm like call out those brands call out those decisions call out those celebrities just think about how can I make sure they will hear what my criticism is. Because that's, I think, the main problem is you can be super mad and your anger can be valid, but you need to make sure that they can count your decision. And that sucks, like I don't want to tone police anybody either, but I've been in that meeting where somebody has said, well, these are just trolls. I'm like, no, they're your fans. I can see how they've liked our page on their Facebook. Anyway, cranky.
1: (laughs) I think we're all in kind of that spot right now. It's it's yes it's, it's valid. It's, it's a cranky a, yeah. time. We we can embrace that crankiness a little bit. It's
0: productive crankiness.
1: Exactly. And I I, I, I agree with you. I, I think I, I've seen those tweets where it's, you know, no shade to the social media manager and then sometimes as a social media manager Before making that post, I have been in my, you know, maybe not my direct boss's office, but some superior's office saying this is a bad idea. We Mm -hmm. don't need to do this or we need to word this differently. It was think about this before we send it out. And social media managers often don't have control over that. And it's post this the way it is written. Yep. And sometimes getting that negative feedback puts a little... I told you so for next time in your pocket, exactly. which can be useful. Exactly. In, in addition to brand missteps, one thing I'm, I'm kind of curious about, and, and I, I've been doing social media full time for, for just over five years now, and, and in some extent for, for a little bit longer, you've been doing it for about six, and I'm saying, you know, that's about as long as it's been a career, <laughs> and I I feel like you do a, good, a, a lot of, on your, your personal accounts, talking about social media management and some, some issues, and how do we act as leaders of you know, as, as social media professionals, and critique the work of others without harming the person who may have done done that post. Not not maybe particularly what the brand has done, but oh, hey, this post is not really effective. You you put fifty thousand hashtags at the end of a tweet, and um, nobody cares that it's Motivation Monday.
2: One of <laughs> one of JS's latest rants. <laughs> Don't get me started on Canva. <laughs> uh, oh, I find um, your tweets. <laughs>
1: But um, how can we do that more effectively and 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 work to sort of because sometimes I fear with, with with content that that is to put it nicely amateur it can drag down the profession a little bit. People see certain types of content and go, oh well, that's what you do. It's motivation Monday. Everybody posts posts this, and maybe that's not the best practice. So what 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 are some some ways that you suggest of, of better kind of pointing out trends that need to go?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think particularly because so many social media teams or s- single social media managers at a company are under supported and under-resourced. It can be difficult to it's like it's often when somebody has put up something on behalf of a brand that is underbaked or looks ugly or whatever it might be, it's because they didn't have the budget or because that company has skimped on hiring for that position and so they hired, they literally did hire an intern or they kind of just hired a millennial assuming they would know what the internet was even though that person had no expertise. So it's interesting to see when a brand does something that looks super amateurish, there's so many factors that go into why it looks like crap. There's also in terms of training and communications, education and, and professional development, as a field there hasn't been like a huge clear pathway in order to learn more skills or um, it's like it's something that I think a lot of people self-teach and I look at stuff that I did six or seven years ago and it's it is hashtag overkill or oh my god my eyes are bleeding looking at this graphic (laughs) that you made or don't you know not to put white text on a black background because it makes you look like a MySpace page like it's funny to see how some people really do learn and teach themselves and then some people just have no innate whether it's design judgment or editorial judgment or are just not learning how to write strong copy, like it is difficult. I don't really know what the solution is. I think in terms of giving feedback, it can be really helpful to, um, I I honestly don't know the right answer to that because I think that it's hard to give people feedback when they're not looking for it or when they don't know who you are and that you're giving feedback with the best intentions. When you did start talking about Canva, I felt like both attacked and yet really challenged because I was like, I use Canva a lot just on my own personal social and it does kind of look like crap. And he has a point. (laughs) Um (laughs) and I think that by making it impersonal and just saying this is a trend that I see as opposed to hey your Instagram looks like garbage, that really got through to me and got me thinking. And I have this problem a lot because I have friends who work for it's particularly a nonprofit problem of like horrible social strategy that hasn't been invested in, and I see a lot of over-reliance on hashtags and just like poorly written copy that doesn't make any sense. I try to give the feedback of what are the actual goals that your company is trying to reach? What is the goal of this post? And how can you most effectively try to reach that goal? And your hashtag usage, maybe you're trying to reach a specific audience and that's what you think hashtags are for, but that's not really working on this specific platform. It's marrying that, let me teach you a little bit about this platform, or um, let me help you think through whatever your goal is and what the tactics can be, because clearly you've never really done that with someone who's informed. But It's hard out here for a social media manager. I agree that sometimes amateurish stuff makes our field look like garbage. And then somebody, a brand will post something extraordinary and innovative that uses the platform in a completely new way. And that's like, that's clearly a genius and an expert. And I try to uplift the good work as much as possible as opposed to complaining or not complaining, but focusing on the bad. It's harder to say this is a good social media manager versus this is a bad social media manager. It's a lot easier to do that with like, this is a good accountant or like this is a good ad campaign sometimes. I don't know. It's a weird one.
1: <laughs> exactly. I know it's something that, that sometimes I, I struggle with and, and even kind of them back a little bit. And and I, I think you're, you're definitely right of kind of doing the indirect mm-hmm. versus direct. You know, sometimes even if I, if I see a post that, I'm, I'm not wild about rather than, than retweet it, mm-hmm. find an indirect way to subtweet mm-hmm. it or, or something like that. I'm all but, about
0: the professional subtweet. Yeah, Because <laughs> then you're, you're talking about where they messed up without throwing them under the bus. And like, maybe they're not going to learn, but somebody who just sees your subtweet might be like, oh, that's interesting. And then you haven't amplified the bad tweet.
2: You're like including yeah. everyone else that's done the exact same thing.
0: True. And
2: someone's <laughs> bound to learn from it.
1: Exactly. And, and you know... I think sometimes, too, it's we can advocate for the needs of the social media manager. I, I fear that I preach to the choir a lot, but I hope that some of the things that, that I share in my personal account would eventually reach to leadership to go, mm-hmm. oh, maybe we need to look into hiring a graphic designer instead of... Relying on Canva. Exactly, yeah. Leadership
2: doesn't listen to you, Jay. I know they don't.
0: <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Like they, Leadership is funny in that sometimes they don't want to hear it from the person they've paid to have the expertise. They want to hear it from a random person on the internet who looks really professional, especially if it is like... A white guy. (laughs) So sometimes, like, I've sent a lot of your tweets to. I have a group chat of people I've done social with, and I'll be like, "Look, he's he said the thing that we were trying to say. Can we like passive aggressively tweet this to somebody?" (laughs) So it can be really helpful because then folks can really again, it's having data of like an outside perspective to be like, "There you go. I told you we needed a graphic designer, and Canva was a dumb investment." So good on you.
1: Thank you. I've heard it referred to as the hundred mile, hundred thousand dollar rule, like. If you uh, if you don't come from 100 miles away or we're not paying you, you know, a lot of money, we're not going to yeah. listen. So um, I, I think that that's true of any case where... That's you why know. I
2: started an agency. <laughs> <laughs> so that said, it's true. I mean, it's part of why I started an agency. I couldn't get anything done internally, so I might as well go external.
0: <laughs> it's totally fair. I,
2: I see it in higher ed. A lot of good people leave where they
1: are or leave the field they're in. Because of that, we, we in, in higher ed, I think we lose a lot of internal people to, to, to external higher ed vendors because they don't feel that their voices are heard by the people that are paying them right now. So uh, something to be aware of. So while we're on to the topic of higher ed. <laughs> you have wrote an essay entitled, Five Years Later, Wesleyan is Still the Best Decision I Ever Made, where you shared your love for your university in spite of some of the problems that it, it faces. And I, I think we are all have been in that sort of position, whether it's the universities we worked for or our alma maters or both. I, I, I know I, I, I've been like that. But you ended with a really good statement. And you said, hopefully in all that writing, I'll be part of the fight to make Wesleyan better for the bright young rebels uh, matriculating this fall. Wesleyan, hit me up. I'm at your disposal. So first, did they hit you up?
0: No. So, funny story. I left TED last fall partially because I was burnt out, partially because I was just tired of not being all that listened to by leadership on questions of audience. But no, I love my colleagues at TED. They were phenomenal. But I left and I kind of kicked around for a few months doing con- like consulting work and freelance writing, and then I actually applied for a job at Wesleyan to do social media on their development team. They would probably be very annoyed with me sharing this story, but I didn't sign an NDA, and I didn't wind up getting the job, so it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I wound up going through the interview process, and um doing like a basic edit test. And I interviewed, I had a full day of interviews from like maybe noon to four, noon to five. I met with maybe 10 different people from all around the organization. And I certainly learned a lot about doing social media for a university and the various challenges. But the question that I was asked in every single round of that interview by all of these different people who in the future should probably coordinate their questions <laughs> with each other before going into an interview process. But Every single person asked me, how will you balance the fact that you were a Wesleyan alumni with doing this job? And can you, in those moments where everyone is furious with the university, remain impartial, stick to the party line, and like not lose your soul? <laughs> was basically what I heard in the question. And I wound up actually pulling out of the job because of that. Because what I realized was I would rather be the loud alumni on the side yelling than the person inside trying to fight the battle, whether or not I'm getting anywhere, because that's just my personality, really. I'm a loudmouth. Like, I know my role as an activist and as a community member is to be the writer. It's not to be, like, the internal operator. But it was definitely, it was a really interesting question for me of like, where do I want to be in this community? And where can I be most effective when it comes to helping this community? And the sense I got was that in that position, I wouldn't have been able to really help the community in the way that I wanted to. And then um, with the pandemic, I probably would have been laid off. So kind of like, yay, glad I didn't take that job. Last hired, first fired. (laughs) And also if a huge part of my job would have been working with alumni relations and reunion and commencement, they had to cancel reunion and commencement. So I'm kind of like, Good, good job. Good, good hunch there, Ella. But I, it's funny. I think that because I am, I write about sexuality. I've written a lot about sexual health and what it was like to get an STD while I was at Wesleyan. Like, I am one of the most successful members of my graduating class. I have a presence online. People kept coming up to me at my five-year reunion being like, I follow your work, I follow your political activism, whatever it might be. But I'm one of the only alumni that the university has never celebrated or highlighted from my year. Mm. And I think it's because even though I am the quintessential Wesleyan student, I am rebellious. I talk a lot about my humanities experience. I'm really proud of the university. I'm one of the few people who's like, Wesleyan has a lot to grow, but I will always be a proud member. Like... I'm very raw raw drinking the kool-aid but I'm also not the type of person who will help you recruit from like people who are considering going to Yale instead like I'm yeah. I'm very much in the keep West weird part and so I've seen a lot of my friends be featured by the Wesleyan alumni community or get shout outs from the university president and I've never gotten one and that's that's okay that's fine like I'm I'm a colorful person I get it but it's been interesting as an alumni to see that too of like I wonder what their strategy is. I wonder why I've been overlooked, and it's—I totally get it too. Like I totally get it. Um, but it's—it's it's interesting. I have a lot of like convoluted feelings about this, but
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> just gonna drink my water over here and not take it personally.
2: I actually worked for my alma mater straight out of college for well, with a what eight-month gap, I think, where I actually worked at. The gap or for the Gap. I worked at Old mm-hmm. Navy and uh, <laughs> which was not fun. It's a good but, joke uh, though. <laughs> yeah right and then uh, going back into going back to work for the alma mater you know I was there for three and a half years and it's definitely a different side. I mean there's a lot of stuff where especially if you still know any of the administrative staff there mm-hmm. if you know any of the faculty there's there's a little bit of a challenge in just overcoming the I guess it's a stigma of you were a student and mm-hmm. <laughs> you were under me for so long, you know, like that sort of thing. Yeah. And so I think there are, there are a lot of challenges that go into that, and it's something that I think higher ed needs to do better, just because a, a fair amount of people that end up working for universities are are alums. Like they, you know, they they either they go away for a long time and they come back as as you know a I don't know, a fiscal comptroller or something, but like, you know, like all that stuff does happen very often and it's it's difficult to, it's difficult even to get past those those cultural issues. I think, especially if you've gone out and worked in, you know, the the normal public and in a real job, so to speak, it's, it is a very different, a very different sort of experience coming back to school. I think too, too to, to kind of what you're saying about, you know,
1: who they choose to recognize, mm. you know, being in some of those conversations, it still is a very old school mentality yeah. and try. I, I don't, I don't think there's an understanding of, there, there's a whole new movement about, about young alum and, 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 and engaging with them and, um, but that it's still kind of slow to, to understand
2: what a big deal certain people are or do. It's, it's still traditional successes,
1: right? Mm-hmm. I just found out yesterday, one of our alums runs social for Pokemon and I, yeah how cool is that yeah. <laughs> like it's a big deal I, i've actually i met her years ago when i was still teaching like and and i, I followed her on twitter the other day and i'm like oh i recognize her and it's like oh that's an alum and i was trying to explain to my bosses this is a big deal she runs social for pokemon they do so much cool stuff and like it's a really big social account is really cool and just yeah crickets like oh that that that's nice is she, you know, well, uh, that, you know, does she own a business? You know, like they didn't say that, but, uh, but that's sort of the.
0: Yeah. Success looks a lot different now, particularly for millennial alumni, the soon to be Gen Z alumni, like s- jobs are different. The landscape is different. God knows the pandemic is going to influence that too. Like the types of role models to uplift in terms of a successful alumni or an interesting alumni it doesn't look the same. And like, I I picked up just the university magazine when I was back on campus, I think maybe last year. And it was like a sports analysis guy who used data to track athletics. And it was some white guy who I'd never met at West. And I was just like, this is not what I want as an alumni. I wanna hear, I want, I just am like, I'm bored, I'm bored. And Wesleyan's biggest alumni, at least of recent memory is Lin-Manuel Miranda. And like Wesleyan has wholeheartedly embraced him. He's a huge part of the community. Like, he wrote in the Heights while he was at Wesleyan. Like, I love Lynn, but also there are more people than just Lynn. Like, I, it's, at a certain point, I'm like, that's enough Lynn. Yeah. Like, I love Lynn. Like, I, <laughs> ah! <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. But yeah, I, it's fine. I've just accepted the fact that I'm too much of a mess um, to be featured as an alumni. But they're gonna hate me when my eventual romance novel comes out that takes place at a reunion.
2: trick them into highlighting you at that point
1: (laughs) i think one thing i run into kind of being that bodyguard is i am in my boss's office constantly just predicting doom like (laughs) we are about to get hit this we need to be aware of this i'm not trying to be negative but There's going to be hell to pay in a little bit.
0: (laughs) That's literally what I said to one of my friends when I decided to leave Ted, was I'm tired of being the Cassandra. Like, I'm tired of being the one who's like we're sailing into a storm or like, we're not thinking this through, or we didn't prepare this value statement or whatever it is. And I'm tired of being the one who's saying this is gonna be bad. And then having to be the one who cleans up the mess that I warned them about in the first place. And like, that is not unique to Ted. It is very specific to any PR or social or whatever it might be, but it is so exhausting. And part of the reason I really like my current job is yes, I'm doing social and marketing, but I'm also the lead on like brand development. So I get to be earlier in the conversation saying, hey, maybe we should do it this way so that I never wind up being the person who's being handed a strategy at the end who's like, oh my God, why have you just given me this piece of garbage? (laughs) It's, but yeah, no, it's the Cassandra thing. It's the Oracle thing. It's like being the person who's like, can we, no? Oh, you're not going to listen. Okay, I'll see you on the other side.
1: That makes me so happy because I've actually used the Cassandra metaphor many times and had to explain.
0: I was lucky that the old, uh, the president or CEO, I don't, his his title was head curator, but the head of Ted, Chris Anderson, was a sweet, sweet man, was, has like a philosophy's Oxford background. So he, he got it, <laughs> but it is, yeah, it's tricky and it's. People, I got called out a lot for being oversensitive or for being the negative one who always assumed the worst. And I was like, yeah, one out of 10 times it will happen the way I'm predicting. And nine times out of 10, it'll be fine. But that one time out of 10 is going to be very destructive. And if I'm going to say, I'm not, I'm not like crying wolf. Like that's not what I'm doing. I'm saying if like the wrong influencer notices this or the wrong publication decides that they're mad at us. Like it's we're setting ourselves up in a precarious situation and just because the jenga blocks don't always fall down doesn't mean that we're pulling at our foundation. So, that's my rant about that.
1: <laughs> uh, to 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 kind of circle back a little bit, like, you know, you were saying about being a, in a place where you're a little bit more get a little more fight in you and a little bit more boisterous on Twitter. I, I... I would say that your account has inspired me to become a little bit more boisterous on on Twitter. And so please continue to do so. But yeah, I'm kind of in that sort of place where it's like, I've been doing this for a while. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I present, you know, I've been in, I I write about this for for various publications outside of where I work. I know what I'm talking about and I'm not going to back down anymore. And like that, I think that's a good, I think more social media managers need to kind of take that position of like, look, I'm not an intern. I know what Mm -hmm. I'm doing. So I I appreciate you putting that out there and and, and continuing to do what you do because it's, it's, it's been very inspiring. So,
0: well, we need to demand respect for what we do and for our expertise and it's, it's not being given to us easily. And sometimes you just have to say like, no, I know this and this is what I've seen and I'll be rude about it because you're you're not listening when I'm polite. (laughs) And, uh, it's, yeah. Um, Good. Keep doing it. I'm learning from you. I, I'm being much more cautious about Canva. <laughs> I'm learning how to do better graphic design using Figma. It's <laughs> Your impact is felt.
1: <laughs> it's more on college campuses that I have a problem with it, where it's just like every department, just the same Canva graphics. It's like, we have a brand guideline. We have standards here. Like,
0: uh-huh.
1: Let's not. We We actually do have graphic designers that'll make stuff for you. So just Ella Dawson,
2: thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you joining us on the podcast today.
0: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thanks, as always, for listening to the Thought Feeder Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and we would appreciate a follow, a subscribe, a rating, a review, whatever you can give us. We are at ThoughtFeedPod on Twitter. And you can also find us at ThoughtfeederPod.com where all of the episodes are listed and links to every possible subscription service that we are on. Thanks again for listening. ThoughtFeeder is hosted by Joel Goodman and John Stephen Stansel and edited by Joel Goodman. Thoughtfeeder is sponsored by University Insight.